2: Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member today.
0: So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll, Lord. No. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul.
3: The oh, right. devil his groove in that rhythm and blues. That's him. It's gonna get you in the air.
4: Welcome back to the Speakeasy. This is a special uh, recording from... Uh, Studio 3A in uh, Greenpoint. (laughs) Um, We've got uh, Aaron Polsky in town from uh, Los Angeles. Uh, Aaron Polsky used to live here in New York City, worked for me to Mori Margo, uh, then shipped off to California and worked for a long time at Harvard and Stone, and now he's got a bunch of projects up his sleeve. So we're going to talk about what's been going on and what's going to go on for Aaron Polsky. Hey, buddy. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It's uh, good to have you on the show again. You've been on the show a couple times before, right? Yeah, I think maybe like three. Yeah, okay. You're like a returning friend of the show. Yeah. Yeah, I'm one of those. Yeah, it's good. Um, so let's talk about, you know, as we typically do on the show, let's talk about some, some of your past first, so let's line up people with, with who you are, uh, and then we'll jump into what you're doing today, because it's really fascinating. I'm super excited to hear about it. Um, but uh, everybody knows already that you worked at Amore Margo and a bunch of places in New York City, and then you moved to California. How many years ago?
3: Uh, four years. It's been yeah, four years. Oh, yes, it was four.
4: Flies.
3: I know, right? That's, it's really crazy. The realization that I've been there for four years was kind of wild. Wow what you been doing uh well i went over there um went over to open the bar called cliftons um and i was going to run the space in the basement uh that is still not open to this day uh so
4: construction delays what's, what's going um
3: on it's a little more more complicated than that for the sake of diplomacy um you know we'll just leave it at actually whatever uh it's it's always <laughs> it's uh, I don't really know why it's not open. So the, the space in the basement is called Shadow Shadowbox, um, and it's built out, uh, and it's ready to go, and it's been ready to go. But, you know, everything has to go by the owner, and I guess um, he still hasn't decided to pull the trigger on it. But the rest of Clifton's is open. It's um, all
4: set up, so it's just like a ghost bar. Yeah. Just waiting to achieve its potential. Yeah. Jesus.
3: Yeah. So...
4: I'm so the opposite, right? Open to Maury Margot 2 in two months with $25,000 budget. Which we blew out of the water, don't need. You can't open a bar with that little. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you
3: know, I think that um, there are people who really strive for perfection um, and really want the space to be, like, as perfect as they imagine it to be. But... You know, and that's great, but I also think that the only person who knows in their head the way that you wanted it to be when you opened it is you, right? So, like, as long as you're opening to the consumer in a way that uh, delivers great product with consistency with good service, you should open. I totally agree. You know, like
4: I mean, that's my change the fucking wallpaper later. I I even have a phrase about it. I say, plan your work, work your plan, be flexible. Makes sense. I mean, you, you can... The, the tragedy, I think, in our business, and in lots of businesses, is that you can plan everything exactly, as you just said, in your mind's eye, and you can see it all, and you can put it all together. And then you open the doors, and the people come in and tell you what they want to change. Right. <laughs> How yep. they want it different. They want the lighting different. They want the music different. They think the bar should be over here instead of over there. Like, you got to be flexible, man. Right. Because in the end, it's a business. You can't just... It's not an ego.
3: Right. And you're losing revenue every day that you're not open. Right. So... Anyway, um, so four
4: years ago, you went out to do a project. So, so I, I didn't, I didn't even realize that you, this was your reason for leaving.
3: Yeah. Michael Neff, uh, had been, had, uh, who, oh, right. you I know, do remember that part. Yeah. Holy shit. He was running holiday at the time, mm-hmm. uh, with Danny. Um, and he, he had been teasing for like two years. He's like, Hey buddy, you want to move to LA? I got a job for you. And eventually I was, you know, I bit. We met, we had a drink at uh, Fool's Gold, and we talked about it, and he showed me pictures, and I was like, all right, let's do it. Um, So, yeah, so that was the plan. Um, I was going to become the little cocktail wizard of the mysterious bar in the basement of Clifton's in L.A., Um, but shortly thereafter, um, I moved into, well, three days in, four days in, I went to Harvard and Stone. It was my second time there. The first time I uh, went with Lindsey Nader in 2011. It had just opened. Um, and this time, uh, I went with some friends, and I met uh, my friend Joey Bernardo, who's here in town with me. Um, and I met the whole crew, and it was amazing. And I was at that bar every day, pretty much ever since. Um, I moved... <laughs> I moved uh, into the neighborhood like a month later and uh, when I was opening Clifton's, it was my local and I was on basically 10 to 6 hours. So I would work at Clifton's from 10 to 6, developing this concept, go home uh, and decide whether I was going to eat dinner first or go to Harvard first. That was every day. Um, And then six months in, uh, I got the offer to manage it and I took it and I just left Clifton's I didn't really need to give it. I mean I gave notice but I didn't even really need to the bar wasn't open you know right. um Call me when you call me when you're ready here's I've done all I can do right well yeah I mean it wasn't even told me when you're ready I was like I'm just gonna go ahead and move on here I was I was in the basement spinning wheels right yeah. like that was it um it's a little bit
4: demoralizing I'm sure
3: yeah I mean you know all I wanted to do was get open yeah right and it's like pitch ideas and you talk to the owner and you do this and you do that and it's you constantly get new obstacles put up you feel like you're you're uh, playing against an adversary instead of playing with a teammate right. um and um you know it's fine uh he he's has really good vision um and um I don't mean that like he eats carrots and has like bit of carotene he uh <laughs> He has, you know, he he really does artistically design places, and he really does see a grand thing. Um, it just, you know, um, it still has not panned out. So whatever, I'm okay with that. I was yeah, at Harvard right. for. It seems I like did, you did alright. Yeah, I was very happy being at Harvard uh, for three and a half years. To to follow, um, I left there uh, July thirty first. is my last shift. The the big party. um,
4: well, let's talk about what you did while you were there, though. What, what what is Harvard and Stone for the listener? So Harvard
3: and Stone is kind of equal parts uh, music venue, cocktail bar, and neighborhood bar. Uh, <clears throat> we we uh, a lot of a lot of our guests come in for the happy hour. You know, three dollar Olympias, uh, five dollar old fashions. I guess are six now. It's
4: um, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, like that's like you're not getting that in New York.
3: No, yeah. Happy hour is very much a thing in L.A. Yeah. It's almost an expectation.
4: Sure.
3: Um, And there's a bar in the back called the R&D Bar. Uh, you worked it. You did work it. That was a really good night. I got the
4: shit kicked out of me. Yeah. It's really (laughs) funny. In like the best way.
3: Yeah. My first R&D there when I was a guest, I got the shit kicked out of me too. You know, sometimes... Like, there are nights where people just show the fuck up. Yeah, yeah.
4: They, pour, they <laughs> poured out. I don't know if it was me or if it was, uh, you know, I did drink uh, BevCon, uh, but whatever. The masses were there and they were thirsty. Yeah. Um, and I was alone. It was like, you know, you're, you're just, it's like a, a, like being in a morning, Margo, tiny space, and you're alone. Like, you right. are alone. Right. <laughs> and here right. they come.
3: <laughs> yeah. My first one, I brought somebody uh, to help out. Um,
4: well, you were there sort of helping me, but mostly helping me drink whiskey. Right. There are lots of photos of you pouring whiskey in my mouth and vice versa.
3: Yeah, well, you know, we want people to
4: <laughs> and remember, and remember their venue.
3: experience by not remembering. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's very much a rock and roll venue. Uh, and R&D Bar, we feature a guest, guest bartender every week, mm-hmm. um, which is really fun. Fun, uh, but also
4: pretty rigorous, right? Like, that's a, that's a lot to maintain.
3: It's a lot of programming, yeah. for sure. Uh, so it's everything from local emerging talent to, you know, well-known people globally. Um, and there's live music, free live music every night, uh, three bands a night usually.
4: Also a lot of programming. Yeah. Was that on your shoulders? No, it wasn't okay, good. It
3: was our GM. And, <clears throat> um, you know, cocktails in the front, and we, we did burlesque um, Friday and Saturday. It's a lot. It's, uh, it's fun. And there's really no bar quite like it, you know, not mixing all those things. Where, I, like, the cocktails are well thought out. And Sorry, go ahead.
4: No, no, I 100% agree. Uh, and, and the crazy part, though, is when you describe it to me uh, sitting here in front of me, like, I've been there, and I know you. But when you describe it, it sitting here, I'm like, this is, like, your bar. This is, like, tailor-made for you. You like to drink an Olympia and a $5 old fashion. You like fancy cocktails. You like rock and roll. You like burlesque. Like, this is, like, the Polsky bar.
3: Yeah, it was a perfect fit, you know? I mean, it existed long before long before I, I uh, started working there, but it was, you know, everything about it was perfect for me. It's funny, I, uh, there was this, uh, back in, like, 2005, it was either, like, a Black Rebel Motorcycle Club music video or a Levi's ad, which is very strange. I don't remember what it was. But I remember seeing on TV, like, this bar where there was rock and roll playing on the inside and, like, really cool people outside of it, like, leather jackets and tight jeans and all that. And I was like, that seemed, I was 18, I was like, that seems like a really cool bar. (laughs) And then years later, you know, like, over a decade later, I, uh, I had a realization that I was like, holy shit, I worked in that bar from that video. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it just totally has that vibe, so... I've always loved parts like that
4: and so you, you spent three years there yeah and crushed it like, you, <laughs> I, like I had never really heard of that place until you worked there oh and now I feel like people talk about that place wow like I don't do you get that sense how long, how long um, has it been there it's been there eight years so you you manned it for the, for the last three yeah of, of eight
3: yeah um you know I think that <clears throat> it there was there was always a really good team there um and to take credit seems um, disingenuous because before me, you know, Joey has been there eight years. Joe Webster ran it um, at a certain point. Uh, Serena Herrick ran it. Uh, there was Yale Van Grof, Oh, Of course, you know, yeah. She she managed it for, for a while as well. So, um, and then the others. You know, um, he's well known in L.A. But Stephen uh who now is in Seattle, but he was a GM for the first probably four years, so Pablo Moy, uh, Steve Levigne, like, lots of really, really good people. So you just who, picked up
4: the ball, but you I, I feel like you ran with it.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you also,
4: know. I mean, not for nothing, and I feel like we're going to talk about this, this is going to be the running theme through this show, I think. You also sort of personify kind of a rock and roll attitude. <laughs> you know, you, you like, you've got the rock and roll hairdo, you, you often sport a big beard, you dress like you're from, like, I don't know, some kind of crazy mashup of, like, Led Zeppelin and the Bee Gees. (laughs) You're you're often wearing gold LeMay shorts, like... uh, Yeah, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, that, that, I guess, is exactly what what rock and roll is, right? Yeah, I think that... But at the same time, I disagree with you emphatically. You do give a fuck. Like, I think you're very concerned about things, right? You're very concerned about your work. You're very concerned about the things you do. You're super concerned about quality drinks and quality food, like that's that's been sort of your through line as well, right?
3: Yeah, um, you know, I, I've often been inspired by people who execute things really well and people who are really creative um, and, and work with precision. I think the I don't give a fuck part is like, I don't give a fuck what you think of me kind of deal. You that's, know, yeah, it's like, I'll that, but, you know. do, you know, um, you know, we have, I always like have internal struggle over this Uh, whether or not I am utilizing the opportunities that come my way to the fullest right, and taking advantage of the opportunities that I get Um, I always feel like I don't do enough to capitalize upon them and uh, sometimes you have one of those days where you're like I didn't do shit today and then you looked at what you actually did today and you're like oh I actually got a lot done cool Um, so yeah it's really important to me um you know, in the positions that we are, that we do the best we can do. You know, I. there's nothing that, like, really grinds my gears more than when people open their own bars and they have the training, they have the background, they have the knowledge, and they serve kind of like bullshit, and it's kind of hokey, and just not really into that. You yeah. Know? Um,
4: seems inauthentic, right?
3: Almost it's almost like yeah I just want to open the shots and beers bar and it's like okay well why do you keep getting fucking press as a cocktail bartender exactly you know just like do the thing that you're you have that rare uh, that rare skill set and and um, you know I don't want to say gift because I don't believe in all that like everything happens for a reason and yeah, all yeah, that yeah. stuff but,
4: but um, <laughs> that, sometimes I say oh you're, yeah, you're pretty lucky I'm like yeah the harder I work the luckier I get <laughs> Well, these, I, two, these two things I often parallel
3: <laughs> <laughs> I quote you um, oh, on this is a really funny but true line that you say where
4: the the reward for hard work is more, more work, work yes. right it's, it's true um, it took me forever my dad used to say that to me and it took me forever to actually understand what it meant what it means is the better you become at something through the hard work that you do the more people ask you to do that thing right
3: opportunity and opportunity you have to, and you knocking you have, yes right. and you have to take advantage of it you must so, so, um, <clears throat> you know, rock and roll to me, uh, going back to it, is um, it's a it's an attitude and a lifestyle and a way of life, and it's a lot more than just the genre of music that I happen to love. Um, so I think that, um, you know, for me, that is my genuine expression of my everyday existence.
4: Yeah, I think that's, you seem, over the years that I've known you, you seem to have really come into um, being comfortable with who you are, right? And I think that's a that's, that's a huge fair. that's a huge thing. Uh, you know, i I'm, I'm I still often am self conscious. I still often am questioning things. I, you know uh, about myself. I'll be 50 next month. Like, and I'm still like struggling with that sort of stuff. You seem super comfortable. Listen, right. we're going to take a quick break and come back, uh, and we're going to talk about why you're back in New York and also what you have planned for the future. Because you left Harvard in stone, so now you got no job, right? That's right. Fun employment. Uh, stay tuned to the speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network.
1: This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant. Or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information,
2: visit TabardIn.com. This episode is brought to you by you. Heritage Radio Network makes your favorite food podcasts. And now we need you to lend your voice to our community and show your support of Food Radio. Become a member today. HRN releases 35 weekly shows each week and is a globally respected voice in food media. But believe it or not, we're still a very small grassroots organization. HRN is powered by a small but mighty staff of four people and HRN's incredible hosts who volunteer their time to bring you the best food podcasts out there. Our hosts are experts in their field, whether it's food writing, mixology, culinary history, craft beer, LGBTQ issues, and so much more. And they're committed to making sure that the stories that matter to you keep coming each week. We believe that a thoughtful, committed group can change the world. So join us. Add your voice and support HRN by making a donation of any amount. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate.
4: Welcome back to the Speakeasy. We're recording live today at Studio 3A in Greenpoint. Uh, I've got my buddy uh, Aaron Polsky in the studio with me, um, visiting New York from L.A. Where, you've, where you just left your job at Harvard & Stone a couple months ago. But you're here to do a cool project with some really fucking cool people. Talk about what you're here for.
3: Yeah, so um, this is the first time I'm actually really talking about it in a public forum. Um, well, don't
4: forget, uh, sadly for our listener, this is after the fact. Because we're recording this and it'll be over by the time they hear it. That's true. <laughs> so let's talk about it as it already happened. <laughs>
3: Um, you so know, this is live from the future. Everything, everything you see has already happened. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you see a star. That star has yeah, already man. exploded in the sky. Yeah, it's Just we're just getting the message late. Um,
4: we can talk about the Methuselah star after this if you want to. Do you hear about this? No. So you know, my dad worked for NASA for 35 years, right? So I'm, I have a more than a, more than a pointed interest in space. We've discovered it's uh, total side note, listeners. This is, we've discovered a star called we <laughs> the Methuselah star. Uh, sorry about that. Um, turns out that it's uh, 14.7 billion years old. The, the fascinating thing about that is that the universe is only 13.8 billion years old. So we found a star older than the universe. Wow. Uh, yeah. Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> this is new news. It just happened a couple of days ago.
3: That is insane. Mm-hmm. Anyway. That changes everything. That so. <laughs> um, it, it literally changes nothing. <laughs> fair. fair enough. Um, so why yes. were you here in New York? So I started a, um, a canned cocktail company. Uh, it's called Livewire. And for me, there were a couple issues that I wanted to solve, right? Every, every, every new company, every new product needs to solve a problem. So the first is that um, I think that most of the canned cocktail offerings and bottled cocktail offerings uh, really miss the mark. Um, they don't taste particularly good. Uh, they have generic branding. They don't really offer consumers an opportunity to align with the brand. Um, and they uh, their offerings are generic, right? Moscow Mule, Margarita, uh, Gin and Tonic. These are drinks that you can go to any bar and get.
4: Yeah, and frankly, these are pretty simple drinks to make at home.
3: Right. Um, the other problem, this is a much bigger problem, is that... <clears throat> Well, it's kinda of twofold. One is that the geographic divide between the world's best bartenders and the consumers who want to drink their drinks is is broad and universal, right? So if somebody in Detroit wants to drink a Southern Teague cocktail, they can't unless Southern Teague comes to Detroit and does a guest bartending shift. Or um, uh, or they come to New York, right. drink one of the Southern drinks. That's you. It's
4: a hell of a commute. Yeah, that's just me. It's a hell of a commute for that person in Detroit. Right. If they want to drink from me. Or, or it's a hell of a commute for me. Either way.
3: Um, and the other thing is that the... Um, I think that the world's best bartenders have not found a way to scale their uh, what they do uh, in a way that reaches consumers easily. So, basically, Livewire uh, is, is going to get the world's best bartenders under one label, and it will essentially function as a record label for them mm-hmm. so that somebody, so that, let's use you as an example. We we find your drinks that are can friendly, we put them in the can, like the D-Pump sure. right? That, that would be good. great. Uh, we we put it out to, to the market and, um, you know, people all over the country and all over the world can buy your drinks. So. Got a handful of, of really amazing bartenders on board for this, um, launching in January. Uh, but essentially, that's what I want to do here. You know, I want to, to scale the craft that we've, that we've worked for pretty much 20 years um, and make it approachable for everybody. So I want you, um, if you're, you know, somebody who just wants a cocktail and is going to the beach, right, or going to a picnic or whatever, be able to go to uh, Kroger's or Whole Foods or whatever, grab cocktails from your favorite bartender, because there will be a lot. And the same way you used to go to a record store and buy a record by the bands that you liked, right? It wasn't everything under Warner Records or everything under Atlantic. You just bought a Zeppelin record or you bought like a Marvin Gaye record or whatever. Um, You buy these cocktails and you, uh, you go to somebody's house and you drink them. You go to your house and you drink them.
4: Yeah It sounds great I mean it sounds it, it sounds like The way you talked to me About it on air Off air rather Was um, how uh, uh, What I do What bartenders do isn't, isn't scalable Right I have to be I'm only me I can't scale myself I have multiple venues now But I in fact Have made the conscious decision To only work at one of them I have five places I could work one night a week At each place But that would dilute my brand And theirs I think so I work at a Maury Marg in the East Village, and I have team members who are rising up to be the face of each other space, right? But I can't scale myself out. But this seems like a way that I could scale myself out.
3: Right, you're scaling yourself. It's essentially, you know, if you use musicians as, as an example again, so it's essentially putting out the CD of the cocktail, right? So before records or CDs, right, before records, if your favorite musician if you want to hear your favorite musician play you have to wait for them to play live um, and then the record came out and you could listen to them in your home um, at will at will you now you know fast forward a hundred years later um, you're still listening to your favorite musician on a uh, scaled medium um, and you're still you know that's the performance you get when you're listening at home or through your headphones or whatever when they come to town you still go to see them and yep. that's a different thing right like I love Motley Crue you know when I put on their record I don't expect Nikki Six to like show up in my bedroom and like shoot flames out of the end of his guitar or out of his bass right um but I get that at the show so it's still two things like Souther T comes to Detroit you can still go see him you can still try his drinks um that maybe aren't available in cans, or that he might be garnishing differently, or you know, like, or you have that conversation, or whatever. That's still its own experience. But for me, it's really important to um, to benefit the community, especially right. A lot of the listeners to the show are bartenders. I think that bartenders are underpaid. I think that they're undervalued by um, a lot of bar owners, and. You know, by offering this model where we pay royalties per case sold on the live wire cocktails that they develop, we can change the model so the bartenders can make a lot more money. Yeah, as they tr- as they should. You know, right now, you have liquor companies and bars and PR agencies and all these people trying to make them famous, and they're not getting really any compensation for that. Agreed. Um, you know, my friend uh, Christine Wiseman, who runs a Broken Shakers, right? She's awesome. Dram-wise. She, uh, there was an article in Vogue about Palo Santo cocktails. Um, and Vogue is a national publication, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, people in all over the country are reading this magazine, are reading this website, seeing her photo, reading about the cocktail, and scrolling on. There's no connection. Right? But if they read it and they're like, I, I just saw her drinks at Whole Foods. Right. Or I just saw her drinks at Kroger's. Then they go and they buy her drinks the next time. Right? There's a connection. Exactly. It's like reading about your favorite musician without ever hearing them. Or reading about a musician without ever hearing the music. Yeah. Versus like knowing the music well and then reading about them. There's a connection. Right? You're consuming the medium that they make.
4: Literally consuming, right? Yeah, that's what—that's the business we're in. Yep. <clears throat> so are you here in New York? Um, is this a fundraising? What are you—what are you here for? Are you pitching? Um,
3: no, I've—I I've, have had some meetings, but this is—I'm uh, here for an event called Food Lab Remixed. Um, it's put on uh, at Pier Seventeen, and this is an amazing event, and it's still blowing my mind that I am getting to do it. But uh, chefs Wiley Dufresne, Uh, Who, uh, chefs Wiley Dufresne and Mark Ladner Uh, so Wiley owned WD50 on Clinton Street for a long time Um, and I think that he and this isn't very disputed but I think that he uh, is responsible for a lot of the dining that we saw in the like late 2000s um, in New York
4: powerfully influential chef
3: super influential Um, and you know, his food is so amazing and so inventive and, you know, so it, it makes you think, which I love. Uh, and Mark Ladner, who ran, um, who was the executive chef of Del Posto, which, you know, won countless awards, was, yeah, I New think, New the only, yeah, yeah four-star four New York Times restaurant for his entire tenure, I think. Right. Um, they're cooking food for this cocktail party. Um every week is a different bartender, so I'm here this week. Um, Mike Ferry, also from LA, uh, he just opened a bar called Thunderbolt. Um, he's next week, or I don't know how, the yeah, relation yeah, yeah, yeah. to when this show airs, but Time he's a week after me. No worries. <laughs> um, and then there's um, Chuck Rivera, Ezra Starr, and Ivy Mix. Um, Ballers, and the,
4: everybody, all of them.
3: So it's, it's super fun to be in the lineup. Um, you know, uh, Wiley and Mark are making this awesome food. We're making drinks. And it's um, a little bit
4: of reverse engineering, right, in some ways, right? Un- unlike a typical situation where the chefs make the food and the bartender sort of creates a drink, it's the other way around, right? Because we're featuring the bartenders at this thing.
3: Yeah, it's definitely, it's a bartender feature. And when I talked to Mark about it um, uh, before before the 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 event kicked off, he was like, yeah, we're basically your house band, so let us know what you're making and we'll make food to match, which is like, made my... Head explode. and made me want to like jump out the window. You know, right. it's like so. Su- it's such a, a like a trip to hear that from somebody. Uh, you know, and I say this before every dinner when they intro us, but or every party when they intros. But I was reading about these guys when I was seventeen, like you know, like wide eyed, uh, and I've admired their work for forever. So yeah. to be able to work with them, and then in the capacity where they're supporting me is just wild. But um, it's a great honor
4: give us an example of a pairing because it's it's cocktails paired with food right um but, but again it's they made the food to pair to the cocktails so about your cocktails tell me at least one of them
3: yeah yeah so um they they kind of reflected ingredients so it's it's supposed to be a very loose format right so it's a cocktail oh, party so um they you know like a lot of ingredients are reflected so some of the cocktails that i'm making have um bonito or shiso or whatever and then you see that in in other dishes so um wiley does one called green eggs and ham which is one of those crazy like cubes of of egg coated in this shiso you know like it's it's hard to explain it's very cool um well, but anybody you who know, knows see, like, anything
4: about Wiley's Wally, work, yeah, it's hard to explain, right. but it's very cool. <laughs>
3: um, yeah, so, you know, it's, um, you know, and so you just see reflections of the ingredients. Um, I wouldn't... In- <laughs> uh, how do I say this? I would encourage you to, like, buy his book if you haven't already and flip through it because, you know, it doesn't... Oh, yeah, there it is up there. See, on um, the <laughs> me talking about it doesn't quite do it justice, but it's... Um, super inventive, and, and Mark's food um, is very rooted in Italian traditional cooking. He jokes that he has spent 20 years trying to become an Italian grandmother. Right. Um, the drinks, so, you know, I, um, I'm i inspired by food and by culinary ingredients, and, uh, you know, some of these drinks I've been doing for a while, so a very simple one is called a Shibui, and it's essentially an Agroni variation. Um or Boulevardier. It's Centauri Toki whiskey, uh Grand Classico, Kino which is uh kind of a vermouth analogue. Um that's infused with cherries and almonds. Um and burlesque bitters. Um that one that one makes me happy because it's a crowd pleaser, but it shouldn't be, right? It's like kind of a a bitter and, and embracing drink on paper. Uh, but everybody loves it. So or most people that I've talked to um, you know we do one that's kind of a <clears throat> oh you know what the hot cocktail that one's a lot of fun so we <clears throat> um, we're doing a hot toddy with uh Ritou brandy with uh, Rocky's Milk Punch uh, so Milk Punch is a bunch of friends <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> supporting the friends in that drink um, you know the Milk Punch is really cool in the hot drink because it gives that that creamy aroma mm-hmm. without without actual you know casein if you will sure um, and it's doing the sweetening and the and the acidifying all in that package uh, and then kabocha squash juice topping it with uh, well I don't top drinks with hot water when I do hot cocktails I batch them and put them in the circulator yeah of course so that the whole thing is hot mm-hmm. you know and we can guarantee the temperature it comes out at then we're topping it with a little bit of pumpkin seed oil so it's got the contrast of green against the orange um, yeah that's a fun drink
4: yeah it sounds delicious yeah and it's going over well? Or?
3: People are having a great time. So we laid it out um, where your menu is essentially your passport, and you're going through uh, the progression. And people are liking the format. <clears throat> They're leaving drunk but not too drunk. It's working out.
4: The cocktail of people are mingling around, or are they seated? Uh, mingling. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Right? Um, and I think, again, <clears throat> not maybe I'm making it up, but, like, this seems very thready to me. It's, it seems, again, like it's a, it's a, it's a show. Like it's, it's rock and roll, again. Like this this all through, your, through everything we've been talking about. Yeah, like it's... They're, they're um, promoting this thing in such a way, right? Like they're, let, let's, let's make the bartenders shine, not just the chefs.
3: Yeah, they kept saying this is going to be uh, the show. This is going to be a show, you know? And it, it is to some extent. There are people who are camped out at the bar watching us and, you know, we're putting out... Not quite like 60 exactly at a time, but it's pretty much 60 drinks at a time. Right. Um, <coughs> so they're watching the action go down. Um, yeah, it's bars, a, a bit of a little stage, yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, you also have a pass with that, getting on the stage. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. talk about that at all, just for a second? You well, and my It's just, just hitting my And Damon. My I kind of forgot. Oh, and Damon. That's yeah. right. I kind of forgot about this until right now.
3: Yeah, so Damon and I uh, did a cocktail rock and roll show called Cripple Creek. and um, <laughs> struggling
4: to remember the name. Yeah, Cripple Creek.
3: Yeah, so we did basically kind of this without food, um, and we did this cocktail show on stage. We did, we did it at Webster Hall. We did it at the Star Theater in Portland. Um, and then we did a tiny one at Lit Lounge. Actually, a couple other tiny ones, but we were on stage we queued up songs and lighting patterns for each drink and the drinks were like a set list and we would make 150 or 250 uh, drinks at a time in this we, we basically took all the things that people wanted to see at a bar and amplified them so like cracking ice or flaming the orange twist or whatever and like the analog was breaking down like a 40 inch long log of, of ice yeah. or we would buy orange oil and fill a mista with it and then use it as a flamethrower across like all 150 cocktails. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, we would do that and then we'd send them all out to the audience and then we'd do the next one. The lights would change and the song would change and we'd send them all out and it was a pretty high concept, and I think the execution could have been better because we had we had some dead time on stage and we... <coughs> sorry. Um, we had some dead time on stage that we didn't fill with talking. Like, we barely talked. Right. Um,
4: You're too concentrated on, like, the show part. Yeah. And you have kind of forgot that there's an audience.
3: Right, <laughs> right. It's like watching an instrumental show, you know? So we... Um, this one offers the opportunity to interact sure. with guests uh, and talking through it, and they have a great time. Um, but yeah, we definitely did that, and I definitely thought about it when 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 you I talked about it. Yeah. yeah,
4: I mean that that was again. You're right. It was high concept, but like balls, man. That that takes some fucking some steel, right? You, to get up there and fucking do that shit, and just put yourself out there. Yeah, you know.
3: Um, I was young and kind of. I really didn't give a fuck what people thought you know I really wanted to do this thing <laughs>
4: but you really wanted to do it but also you wanted to do it well and you wanted to please people and, and I think by and large you did you did multiple shows yeah I um, mean I would really forgotten about that until like right now um, but like what a bunch of nerve that took right to get up there and fucking potentially make an ass of yourself with with your friends in front of, of Webster Hall's a fucking big venue what, I mean like that place probably holds what Four to six
3: hundred? We did it downstairs, which I think could hold four hundred packed to the gills, like really packed to the gills. I think we had like closer to two hundred. Right. Um, But upstairs, I think holds fifteen hundred. Yeah. But yeah, it was I mean, it was a lot of people to do this thing in front of strangers, you know, (laughs) exactly. Like the more and more I'm finding out that we're doing these things to strangers, which is a a trip
4: i think it's a a testament to what we do right it's people who are coming out to see us uh, you know because uh, the groundwork has been laid over the past 15 or so years that the public has a gen- genuine interest in what we do like kind of i don't want to say finally but like kind of finally yeah. like we've been over here toiling you know for right. your for your pleasure <laughs> right we've been we've been cranking it out all this time um but like i, th- I think that that's indicative of, of you and your career as it's gone like you you've been willing to just put yourself out there and, and like take a risk and I think that's that's part and parcel to what what it is we do in food and drink right we're taking risks you know everybody can go home and make a chicken breast and put it over a bed of spinach right we, we take risks we, we make food that's a little bit more dynamic more challenging like you said food that makes you think drinks that make you think
3: right you know I think again hopefully
4: still satisfy your palate and get you a little buzzed
3: <laughs> yeah, well, that's almost always guaranteed, you know, at least with, with the drinks that I like to make. But I think that, um, you know, you're again, you're afforded this opportunity, right? You can either maintain the status quo or you can improve it. Um, and I think that, you know, you try to put your best foot forward and, and use the creativity that you have and use the knowledge of, of a back bar that you have. Uh, and of of a kitchen and whatever to give people new experiences.
4: Yeah, that's great. Um, I want to circle back and talk more about um, Livewire. Um, where, what, like, how did you? Where did this begin? Did it all begin with you? Do you have partners in this endeavor? We've um, got bartenders on board, but like, is this all from the mind of Aaron Polsky?
3: Yeah, pretty much. I I started this. I actually first pitched it in 2012. I went to Anchor Distilling, but it was different. I went to Anchor Distilling, and it was going to be a Cripple Creek thing. So me and Damon and Mayor, um, they don't want to do it. They loved it. We did a whole presentation. um, And they were like, we love it. The world's not ready for um, bottled cocktails.
4: Something that's been done for hundreds of years. <laughs>
3: True, right? <The> Hugh Blind.
4: <laughs> yeah, Hugh Blind cocktails. Um, Dave Woodruff just wrote a thing about those. Oh, he did?
3: Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to read it. Yeah. Uh, so,
4: <clears throat> sorry, was it? No, 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 sorry. It was Gary Regan. Gary Regan just posted something about the Hugh Blind cocktails. Okay.
3: Yeah, yeah that's a funny story. You know, the guy, <laughs> what, he batched the martinis for an event that got rained out. Yeah. And then he bottled them or they were bottled, and then he was like, well, we'll use it next week when the weather's good and the event's, like, right. going on again. Turns out, um, you know, bottled, stirred cocktails, of course, keep. Um, so we, we did this thing. We pitched, um, they didn't bite. I pitched a few companies in the interim. Um, I went to Remy Quantro, I went to... I pitched, like, some media companies, too. Um... There were some that were interested, but they don't want to front the money uh, for <laughs> that's, product.
4: That's everybody. <clears throat> right. <laughs> that sounds great. How can I get them Yeah, nothing, get changed. <laughs> nothing changed. Nothing <laughs> changed about
3: the money part. Um, and, um, you know, over, over the years, I sort of uh, put it to bed a little bit. And then I sort of got that fire under my ass again uh, in the f- past few months. And you know, that's when the idea changed, right? That's when the idea changed from being the Aaron Polsky show, which is like buy my drinks because I've made cocktails for a long time and I know how to put them together and blah, blah, whatever, to we need a platform for bartenders to succeed and further their careers, you know? And I had this moment, this aha light bulb moment where, um, I realized that we have this problem where if you become well known for your craft and you decide that you want a job with some more financial security, you have to leave what you became well known for. Kind of, yeah. To gain that security, right? So you need to become a corporate beverage director at a hotel or you need to become a brand master. And there's um, a bit of, like, a bitter irony to that. And that shouldn't be the case. So, you know, I realize that we need to find a way to scale, again, to scale the craft and to scale what we do. Because, again, um, what we do, and this is lofty, but it's true, what we do is an art form, right? We, If we want to get people drunk, we could just give them shots and beers or give them vodka sodas or give them rum and cokes but we make these creative cocktails these beautiful layered cocktails because a people want them but b we have this this need to express ourselves creatively so it's far beyond the utilitarian thing and of course there are the universal aspects of bartending that everybody will talk about and everybody will harp on hospitality and it's super important being conversational um, you know, being hospitable and welcoming, uh, making people feel good, making people leave feeling better than they than they did when they came in. That's all important, and that's all stuff that needs to be done, but that's not specific to what we do. That's a general thing that all bartenders do. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> um, you know, there there needs to be a way to scale that art, and the way to make money off of art is to scale it in the most consumable format, um, whether that's a movie, whether that's an MP3, uh, whether that's like,
4: well, like you said, off air <clears throat> movies and, 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 music and things like that, they, they get piped into our reality through, through easily consumable things like Netflix or, or iTunes. Right. But we don't, we don't have that.
3: Don't right. Have that. For cocktails, we don't have that, you know, and like famous artists, right. So like Murakami has partnerships with Louis Vuitton, right. Where the print is on the bags, you know, because it's like, at the end of the day, everyone's got to eat, and if you've got a particular uh, set of set of you know hard cultivated abilities that people love, give it to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I want these cocktails to be at Seven Eleven because I want to, I want people to consume them. Right. I don't want people to fetishize them. I don't want them to admire them from afar. I want them to crack open the can and drink it.
4: Yeah. I um, crack it open and find out what the fuss is about. Right. Like, so, if it's, even if it's just investigative curiosity. Yeah, like, and like... And then, the, and then the, the people who are already on board are, are already on board, right? But you right. want to tap into that market that maybe is curious, but they don't have that opportunity. They live in Des Moines, Iowa, and maybe they don't have a, a place to go. You know, there's a small market that, that doesn't get enough love and attention from the press and, uh, you know, whatever.
3: Right. And, you know, I mean, as we've, we've seen cocktail bars opening everywhere. Um, and so it's very clear that people want well-made drinks, um, you know, for me, I'm a big Steve Jobs guy. And when he talked about the iPod, uh, he famously said that he didn't, they didn't have focus groups. They didn't ask consumers what they wanted. They gave them what they knew that they wanted. Yeah. Which was a music player that was the size of a deck of cards. Right. You know, that could hold a <laughs> oh, crazy amount library, of yeah. your whole library. Um, so we don't need to hold focus group. To, to really tailor the taste of the cocktails we've been doing this for 20 years we've been shown by the people what they want through our you know making and then calling down menus and and interacting with tens of thousands of people over the years
4: yeah so the market research has just been ongoing right but very subtle
3: right now we're just trying to put it out there and and uh, make it democratize it
4: yeah, and you're gonna. You think you're gonna be able to launch by January?
3: Yeah, it looks like we're on track. So, getting the launch um, in the few states in January, uh, just to keep it manageable, and then hopefully, uh, be in in all fifty states and ten countries by year three.
4: Wow, yeah. aggressive! Yeah, all fifty states and ten countries. Yeah, yeah fuck it, world tour, <laughs> right? You got your tour dates. Rock and roll, right? Rock and roll. Uh, well, dude, it's been really great sitting down and talking to you. And I'm very excited about what you got going in the future. Um, and we'll definitely have you back on the show to talk about it once it gets launched out there. But in the meantime, if anybody wanted to reach out to you, uh, or if you wanted them to reach out to you, how could they get in touch with you?
3: Um, yeah, just uh, Instagram's a great way. Uh, that's, that's
4: usually what everybody pitches, their Instagram.
3: Just send, Slide into my DMs. It's at Aaron Polsky, A-A-R-O-N-P-O-L-S-K-Y. Um, send me a message.
4: Yeah, right on. Well, thanks for hanging out with me on the speakeasy. Uh, uh, really great to see you. I'm super happy for everything that's going on in your life and really excited for LiveWire. LiveWire to go live in January.
3: Thanks, buddy. It It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Of course.
0: Cheers, bud. So you
4: don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load.
0: Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The
4: Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network.
0: Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more
3: delicious place.